This episode of the Duct Tape Marketing Podcast is brought to you by Clavio. Clavio is a platform that helps growth focused e commerce brands drive more sales with super targeted, highly relevant email, Facebook, and Instagram marketing. Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Duct Tape Marketing Podcast. This is John Jantz, and my guest today is Mike, uh, Michael, Mike, Michael Owitz. Oh, I, you're running, you're already zinging me, John. Already. This is my good friend, Mike. McKellowitz, who is the author of some of the really incredible best-selling books, Profit First, The Pumpkin Plan, and Fix This Next, his newest one, Make the Vital Change That Will Level Up Your Business. So, Mike, welcome back. John, I wish people could see us on the video with our silly hats on, <laughs> um, our construction helmets with Fix This Next. I don't, I don't know if this is... Uh... If if I had walked down the street like this, if someone would think I'm from the band Men at Work or what? You know? <laughs> well, I'll tell you what I'll do is uh, I'll snap a picture and then we'll have it forever, um, and be able to share. We'll we'll share it even in the broadcast, so or in the show notes. Ooh, now, I heard I heard a clip. Yeah, so it's forever captured. So, all right, let's uh, let's dive into some of your previous work. We're going to get to fix this next, but I the the reason I really want to is because I think you've done a brilliant job of kind of building on and uh, a collection. You know, where your your first book was not just like another idea, but it was you know, or I should say, your next book is typically like something that supports uh, or goes together as as a nice set. So, talk a little bit about and and in fact, you've built for Profit First and Pumpkin Plan. You've actually even built networks of consultants. Bring your idea to life. So, talk to me a little bit about the the thought process on what I just explained. How your books kind of build, and then the idea that they that you've kind of added these networks. So, you know, the very first book I wrote was kind of a pot shot. Eh, pot shot. It was just a, it was my sophomoric attempt at being a author and uh, addressing the frustrations I had with small business startups. And what happened was it built a, a small following, but it built a following. And I started listening and saying, "What's your biggest need now?" So my first book was for startup businesses. It was called The Toilet Paper Entrepreneur. But then subsequent books were simply by asking what they need now. And so The Pumpkin Plan, my second book, came about when I learned that business owners wanted to find ways to grow, but had to do it organically. They didn't have money. Uh, so I leveraged the, the Pareto principle. And then Profit First came out because businesses were growing. And this is a big problem with businesses. They grow, uh, but they make money. They don't take money. And and so therefore they have some, some inbound cash, but, but it doesn't stick around. And and that was a big frustration point. So that's how profit first came about. And then clockwork was when people said, well, I'm making profit now, but I'm not efficient. I, I still have to work my ass off. How do I get out of my own business? So these do come about just by asking my readers what they need next. And, uh, and then I write the book accordingly. Yeah. And, and again, uh, talk a little bit about the idea of, of how you've then taken the book beyond you know, pages. Um, and, and, you know, the typical route, a lot of people create courses and things, but you've actually been able to build pretty substantial networks of consultants who can implement these ideas. You want to talk about the, kind of how that? Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, profit first is probably the most successful model. We have 450 plus certified profit first professionals. And, uh, honestly, uh, I modeled after what you shared. So you and I were speaking at eBay on location. That's the first time we met face to face. And uh, I told you about my books and I said, is there a way to monetize this? To be honest, she said, yeah, it's called a certification. And uh, you sat down with me for an hour or two and just, just shared everything. And, and I took it all to heart. I mean, I wrote down everything and started to experiment with it. So what I found with Profit First is uh, 
the model of certifying accountants and bookkeepers. But why I think it worked so well is there was, I was watching the movement of that market and traditional accounting bookkeeping is getting decimated. Just like, you know, we see taxi drivers get decimated by Uber behind the scenes. You don't see as much, but it's just as damaging and it's technology. So the advancement of QuickBooks, all these different programs, they're doing the accounting so accurately and so effectively, you don't need a bookkeeper or an accountant, not in the traditional sense. So their question is, what do I do now? And so the one thing that computers can't do for the foreseeable future is a moat. They can't connect. They, they actually struggle to interpret the numbers and give it some human context. So that's what Profit First is, is really about interpreting the numbers, taking actions to bring financial stability to the business owner, the business itself, the employees and all that stuff. So these accountants and bookkeepers joined on board and we actually opened offices in Australia. We have a location in Melbourne. We opened an office in Armisfort, Netherlands. So we have a, a little bit of an international presence now. And um, it's interesting that with the experience we're having right now with with the economic crisis going on is there is a, a growing demand for their needs. So that was an exciting kind of licensing program we brought about from the book. Well, and it's interesting. Uh, Profit First is, uh, I wouldn't, uh, I'm not going to say it's like, revolutionary idea and and hold on because there is i wish you would there's a compliment (laughs) it's not there is a compliment in this so trust me Uh, but it was a different idea i mean and it was an idea that actually ran counter to what i think is sort of the archaic accounting system that we all look at and go okay i got this balance sheet and this other thing i don't you know i don't know my accountant says you know we did okay this year um and i think that in some ways you I, I suggest the popularity of that was almost because it was a little polarizing. There certainly were some people, yeah, that thought, "Oh, this is bullshit," right? There used to be a, there used to be a show called The Biggest Loser, and the first time I heard that title, I was like, "Oh, this is really the 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 worst of humanity." What just based upon the title, and then you find out it's about someone transforming their life and losing weight. So people hear Prop First like this guy's an effing jerk. All he cares about is money, greed, greed, greed. Until they understand, oh, no, no, it's about the formula and the flaw in the formula, and why profit must be the first formula. And you're right. It's nothing new. It's the pay yourself first principle, but applied to business. And it's shocking because pay yourself is so pervasive in personal finance, at least in the, the education round. I'm not saying everyone uses it. It was never, I can't find anywhere it was used in business. Um, but the application is the same. And, and I took some other elements like the envelope system, but it's all in there packaged together. And uh, you're right. It's different. It's not new and it's effective uh, because it challenges the norm. So I, th- I think one of the things that, that is uh, such a truth about money in business, and I've been doing this a long time and I've certainly <laughs> felt guilty to this, is that, you know, when money's coming in, you're like, yeah, yeah, let's go buy that thing over there. Let's go do that thing over there. We got cash coming in. You know, it's like, oh, we wasted $10,000. Big deal. You know, and, 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 you know, eventually you, you have the same amount of the month, same amount of money at the end of the year no matter how much you made, it almost feels like. And and I think that, that that's the truth for most businesses. Yeah. yeah. So what's been your experience with businesses that have taken this profit first approach? What, what's it ended up meaning for them at the end of the year? So I'm getting literally getting stuff constantly. You guys see this, this letter, I get letters, but usually in email, this letter here, if you, you can probably see on the screen, this is someone writing to me. His name is Paul. Uh, email this letter, how profit first has saved his business. This came in just this morning. And a profit first leverages this concept called Parkinson's law. Parkinson's law says the more 
we have a resource available to us, the more we'll consume it. The more time I'm given to do something, it takes me longer. The more money I have, to your point, that $10,000, who cares? The more I spend. So what it does is it leverages Parkinson's law to our advantage by taking the money away and hiding it. Um, businesses have to live off the remainder. And so we know of, it's hard to track it, but we we estimate, and we think it's realistic, about 350,000 companies have implemented Profit First. Not in the full implementation because it's a framework, but have started and successfully are maintained the system. And the, the emails are coming in right now. They're saying, wow, I have money for the first time in my life. <clears throat> I have a runway. And I think these people are smart enough to know it is simply a runway. You still got to get that plane up. And um, with these reserves, some businesses are are using this instead of to react to the circumstances, to contemplate how to leverage the circumstances. Profitability and reserves afford you time. And I think that's how these businesses, the smart ones, are using it. So where does fix this next come in the equation? It almost feels like this sits on top of or maybe sits underneath. I'm not sure which because profit's a part of it. You know, focusing, you know, sales is obviously a part of it. Focusing on your ideal or your best customers and doing more with them. I mean, those are all components of fix this nest. So, so I guess it's two part question. Where does it fit in kind of your, your landscape? And then secondly, kind of, uh, let's break down. Well, we'll get to that. Let's break down the components of. Well, yeah, Brian, break it down. Yeah. So how it came about is what you were leaning toward and, and where, where it sits is how it came about is, Asked my clients, my readers, I said, what do you need next? And this was fascinating. This is the first time I got a consistent, inconsistent response. So the, the readers are like, well, I, I think I need to do this. And then some people answered the same survey the same day, hours apart. And they said the biggest challenge their business is facing was something different than they said in the morning. And so what I concluded is the biggest challenge business owners have is knowing what their biggest challenge is. It's this constant rush to the apparent issues with the unintentional neglect for the impactful issue. So what I decided is we need to pinpoint what to work on. This book is the hub book for all the books in that I used to say, you know, if you're struggling marketing, if someone said, well, you know, what's your problem? And I just read duct tape marketing. And someone say, you know, what, what should I, what book should I read next? I'm like, you got to read duct tape marketing. It's awesome. I didn't ask, well, what's your biggest challenge? And if I did, someone may say, oh, my challenge is, you know, hiring. Oh, you should read maybe top grading or something like that. I, I didn't didn't assess the problem first. And now I'm realizing most of us don't even know what our problem is. So we needed some structure to get to the DNA of a business to pinpoint what our problem is. And that's what Fix This Next does. It pinpoints what you need to work on in your business. Yeah, and you know what? That, that's interesting. It's a really great lesson, this idea, especially, you know, you, you're an author, you're a speaker, same boat for me. You know, you get asked your advice lots of times. And how often do we just here's my you advice to show up and throw as opposed to like, well, let's figure out what your problem, you know, you're telling me your symptoms, but let's figure out what, you know, you really need. And, and I think, I think it's a great lesson for leaders period. Yeah. Yeah. You know, you know, what I found is there, there's like this common DNA for all business. And so this is another challenge I found is many business owners, myself included, you know, think my business is so unique. You can't get my business. But I think it's very similar to humanity. Like if you peel back the skin of all humans, we're the same inside, you know, regardless of gender or skin color or height or weight, if you peel back, you know, the heart's in the same spot, the lungs, like the, the organic makeup or the biological makeup of humanity is the same. And that's why if I need triage and I have a heart attack and I go, the doctor doesn't like sit down and say, oh, can you tell me where your heart is? Do you, is yours in your foot? You know, like, no, they go right to it and I don't even need to be conscious. Well, 
in the business, if we peel back the skin of business, I would say 90% of business is, or more is identical. It's the same. The heart's in the same spot. The lungs are the same way. So therefore the diagnostic of the corporate body is very simple. We go through certain diagnostic stages and we can pinpoint, oh, the, the disease is here. Um, and that's what this tool does. I want to remind you that this episode is brought to you by Clavio, the growth marketing platform most recommended by other business leaders. In uncertain times, supporting your community and growing relationships with your customers is a strategy that will be appreciated, remembered, and shared in good times and bad. Open and empathetic communication with your customers is key. Email is and always will be one of the best channels for delivering these communications. Just head on over to klaviyo.com slash duct tape to schedule a demo. That's K-L-A-V-I-Y-O dot com slash duct tape. So there, there's a bit of, and I think you've actually used the example of, of Maslow's you know hierarchy of needs. I mean, there, there definitely is a hierarchy in, in businesses. So you want to kind of unpack, uh, I think there are five stages in the book. You want to kind of unpack, there's probably many, many layers, but, you know, kind of set the framework. Yeah. I'll go through the foundational five, you know, just to translate it to Maslow. So Maslow cites human needs and says that at the base of all human, human, human needs is physiological needs. We need to breathe air, drink water and so forth. And if that's not satisfied, nothing else matters. Then there's safety needs. You know, I need shelter from the elements, from harm, and it keeps going up. And what Maslow argued is that anytime a base level needs not satisfied, that need needs to be addressed first. So you keep going down until you're satisfied. An example is if I'm freezing outside and I'm experiencing hypothermia, I need to seek shelter immediately in clothing. But if someone runs and puts a bag over my head, a plastic bag and wraps duct tape around my neck, now a further base level need, oxygen, is being compromised. I will actually rip it the bag first before seeking shelter. Please don't try this at home, those of you that are listening. Yeah. <laughs> these are these are really for purposes. Right, right, exactly. <laughs> Just for theory. It, it, maybe it's a little bit draconian, but the reality is our businesses have a base level need that needs to be satisfied. The one distinct difference, though, that's important to point out is we are not biologically wired into our business. We biologically respond to Maslow's hierarchy, yet many entrepreneurs think we biologically or from gut instinct respond to business needs, and that's wrong. We it may give us a beacon of somewhere to investigate, but we need empirical data to validate our problems. So many business owners, particularly in this climate, are responding by saying, I need to get loans. I need to get loans effing fast. And that is a fundamental flaw for most businesses. It's a very reactionary gut level move, but the empirical data may not support it. The five level needs of the business hierarchy of needs from Fix This Next are as follows. Foundationally, sales. Sales is the auction for a business. It is the creation of cash. No sales, no oxygen, no business. But immediately above that is profit, which is the creation of stability for an organization. And they're directly related. You need some degree of inflow of cash sales to create profit. But if you're not taking any profit, you can keep on making sales bigger and bigger. Your business is on the brink of failure. The one day it can't get by uh, because of a profit issue, the business sinks regardless of its sales. Sales are actually an obligation to deliver to others. They're in return to give us money. Profit is the retention of that money to bring stability and a runway like we're talking to an organization. Above profit, the next level is order. Order is the creation of organizational efficiency. It's where the business doesn't have a dependency on the owner. You're not carrying on the back, where if you get sick, no pun intended in, these, in this environment, but if you get sick, your business is out of business. That's a real problem. We need the business to have the independence of the owner or any linchpin employee. 
Above that, the fourth level is called impact. Impact is the creation of transformation. It's where a business doesn't focus on the transaction as much as the transformation. Many businesses focus on transaction. I'm providing a, a commodity effectively, and you are. So therefore, I become price competitive. Transformation is where I'm transforming. The product is now a, 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 a foothold into the transformation of someone's life experience. Harley Davidson is a good example. You ride a motorcycle, you can buy a motorcycle anywhere. You buy a Harley Davidson, you're part of the family. That's a transformational experience. The highest level is, impact, uh, is legacy. Legacy is the creation of permanence. This is a fascinating uh study that I did is is this is when business owners realized they were never business owners in the first place. They were stewards of something. They, they brought about the life of the business, but it was never about them. They brought life to a separate entity. So therefore the importance is the organization, not them. And uh, this is a hierarchy. Anytime the base is not being satisfied, we must revert to a base. You can't have impact and be a, and form a legacy if you don't have sales. Yet some businesses go in with that. We're going to change the world mentality and never consider ongoing sales. And, um, you, you can't have efficiency, organizational efficiency, unless there's stability in the organization in the first place. There must be a profit formula. So these work together and you cycle through them. Right now, a lot of businesses are being forced back down to the foundation. St- formerly healthy businesses that were focusing on impact and legacy have to get back down to profit and sales. Big organizations too. You know, like, like, like these major auto manufacturers, there's some serious crap going down and they're going to have to get back to the basics. So this cycles around. You don't climb it and wave from the top, so to speak. Yeah. And I would say that in some cases, um, even in what we would call normal times, I'm not sure what we're going to call them. Anyway, um, you know, a, a business that starts to get sales and profits, in many cases, if they want to actually do better at sales and profits, they have to put some systems in place first, go back and get better. So, so it's not just like, yeah, we run through these, check it off the box, right? I mean, it's a constant sort of cycling Constant cycle around. Yeah. One of my favorite stories is in the book is Ole Miss. And Ole Miss, um, back in the early 2000s, had a sales problem. They weren't getting as many applications to their university as the rest of their conference, which is the SEC conference, disproportionately less. And they determined that the number one factor for a student picking a school was the first five minutes of visiting campus. How pretty is the campus? And, um, Ole Miss was looking at this and they realized they had a sales problem, so they had a foundational problem. And then they looked for the causes of it and they found, and it's called linking. Sometimes there's multiple hierarchical needs that play out at the same time. Well, there was a link up to the order level. Uh, the maintenance crew was inefficient, not because they were a bad crew. They actually worked their tails off, but the facility, they have a thousand acres they have to maintain and uh, they couldn't beautify the campus and do um, you know, new vegetation projects and so forth. They were just mowing the lawns all the time. Well, this guy, Jeff McManus was engaged to review what's going on. He, he's the head of their uh, maintenance department and determined by asking the front line that, uh, that there were some, some roadblocks to efficiency. They had these low hanging limbs on trees that they had to j- jig around with their uh, lawn mowers because, because they blocked their way. The, the mulch patterns in some cases were square patterns, which are very difficult to carve around. Um, so the maintenance crew said, raise the limbs, which actually beautifies trees to 10 feet. So we can go right under it in a straight line, make the mulch patterns ovals, do some other things. They move trash cans off the grass and put them on concrete things. So you could just mow. They got the mowing times down to half uh, the time before. Well, with the now half the time freed up, they were able to do beautification projects. So they brought this tremendous efficiency, which enabled them to beautify the campus. 
Uh, Ole Miss now is known as one of those beautiful campuses, not just in the SEC, in all of the United States. They turned it around, and uh, you won't be surprised. Their sales goal skyrocketed. They have the most applications now. So sometimes he's linked together. Yeah, yeah. And you do cycle around. Yeah, and it's, uh, you know, especially from something so macro, I mean, it's uh, it's sometimes difficult to, to even diagnose something like that. Um, but uh, small business owners, you know, they're they're kind of so close to their businesses. It can sometimes be really helpful to get some outside outside view of, of just what you described. Yeah, it totally does. And that's the idea of this business hierarchy of needs and fix this next is when, when someone's facing a challenge, any challenge, what, what I'm trying to do is to give them a pregnant pause to look at the hierarchy and say, where does this fall in this hierarchy and where's my business's most vital need in this hierarchy? If they line up, let's address it. If not, it's either deferred or delayed uh, or, or signed out. But we, we got to stay on the one thing. You know, in crisis, John, so many businesses just start going in this circuitous pattern uh, and they're doing desperate move after desperate move and it, they go out of business. It's not desperate. We got to do deliberate move after deliberate move in one direction. And that's why I hope this hierarchy does for people. So I've been asking this question, actually these two questions a lot. And I'm curious what, if you were going to give people advice, I'm getting this question a lot. Where are the opportunities now? I mean, where should people be looking for a, you know, ways to reinvent themselves or B, you know, what, what's, you know, what, what in your estimation might be the opportunities that come out of this and we will come out of this? Yeah, so I think the great opportunity, ironically, right, we're in the greatest entrepreneurial environment ever right now. When there's change of foot in demand, there's massive opportunity, right? So this is the Petri dish for entrepreneurs, which is the great irony. It doesn't feel that way, but it is. The one technique I look at is always, what is our core competency? So I call it business as usual in unusual circumstances. What do we usually do that we're great at? But how do we repackage it for the unusual circumstances? Here's a very specific technique. I like to use restaurants as an example because they're they're the ones so affected right now. But I call it the one step back technique. And simply you look at what's your end deliverable. Restaurants is putting food on a table. You can't do it anymore. What happens one step prior to that, one step back? Well, we bring food to the table, we carry it to the table. So carry out or delivery is a good option. And a lot of businesses hopefully are doing that that are restaurants. One restaurant down the street teamed up with a food truck. That's a little bit smarter. Now the food truck is doing runs through neighborhoods and delivering family meals. Restaurant is, is cooking up, so that's beautiful. But what happens one step prior to carrying food to the table? Well, we do the food preparation in the kitchen. Well, why not now package the your your 10 most popular recipes and sell the recipes? Why not do the video training? Why not actually do live uh, your chef in the restaurant coaching uh, you know families cooking the meal and you can sell that. So they can now do that, your favorite recipe at home. That's a new offering. What happens right prior to that? Well, you, the procurement of the raw inventory, meats and vegetables, maybe you can package just the raw materials and sell those. What, what the, the point here is the final product is simply a culmination of many, many products that assemble. So the option here is, is break down these little mini offerings you have and now offer those. Yeah, I'm seeing a whole lot of people, uh, restaurants get into the meal kit business because that's actually a business that that's a business that's kind of booming anyway, the whole delivery of the kit kind of thing. And so uh, I, I'm seeing some pretty clever businesses, just what you said, like, you know, here are our five most popular dishes. We'll make them kits and you can get them for two or four or six or whatever. So yeah, I, I, it's. Yeah. And that are local, they're fresh. I mean, they have an opportunity to compete with the ones that are shipping them, you know, long distances. Yeah. So there's a lot of opportunity there. You know, the other thing too is, is also look at uh, businesses that boom in recessions. So vice is popular. So smoking, drinking, um, 
but also food staples like you know paper <laughs> paper uh, paper towels and toilet paper apparently um but also like funeral services so what we do is look at is there businesses that you can serve that are booming now supermarkets and you can modify your offering to cater to that market or maybe you can enter that market yourself somehow too yeah, even just uh, download the government's uh, description of what are essential services right now, essential businesses. Those are the people still really working. You know, is there a way to serve, you know, those types of businesses? You know, I think one of the things that'll be interesting is some of the innovation. This always happens uh, when, when people are forced to innovate. Uh, some of those innovations are going to stick. I mean, those are going to become, you know, you're going to see restaurants that say, hey, this is a whole nother revenue stream for us. You know, we've got the down tables, but now, you know, we've perfected some other things. And I, I think some of those things are going to stick and actually make uh, for the folks that, that, that really embrace them, make for some healthier businesses at some point. I agree. So, Mike, tell people where they can find out more about you, um, how to spell your name. And uh, <laughs> yeah, I got a shortcut for that. So, uh the, the, fix this next. I actually have a free evaluation. You can evaluate your business and pinpoint what you should be working on right now. If you go to fixthisnext.com and just click on free evaluation, nothing, you just, no download, none of that. It's right there for you. So fixthisnext.com. If you want to learn more about me and learn how to spell my name, it's mikemichalowitz.com. No one can figure that one out, but you can go to mikemotorbike.com. My high school nickname, it's stuck with me. I've never driven a motorcycle, John, but you can go to mikemotorbike.com. All my books, chapter downloads. I have my own podcast called Entrepreneurship Elevated. I used to write for the Wall Street Journal, all for free at MikeMotorbike.com. Mike, as always, it was great catching up with you. Hopefully, we'll get to do it uh, again someday when I'm out there on the road and you're out there on the road and we can uh, see each other in person. I would enjoy that very much, John. And we'll have to wear these uh, these silly helmets again, too. 